Good morning, Prairie Creek. Good morning. I hate to break up good fellowship. It's like, it's not like we don't get to see each other every week or anything, but sometimes we don't, you know. It's, I, I can't believe that we've just blown through October, and I had somebody just remind me that it's Bantober, and I, I have never really lived it until this year, you know. It's like, whoa, if you've never had a high school, and, and two high school bands, Plano, you guys, is messed up. Um, two different high school bands, but it's like, oh, you know, it's, um, it's been a good season, and, and realizing... Uh, what an honor it is to, to be involved with the bands and not just with the students, but with parents. And you know, in our community, there's a lot of people just going through a lot of hurt and a lot of struggles. And so when we think about the struggles people go through in life, it's like when I say a storm is coming, that's not a surprising thing. In fact, people are like, a storm's coming, it's already here. It's like some people I know in this room are dealing with very real storms, very real hardships. And... Where is Jesus in the middle of that? Uh, you know, it's, um, sometimes he seems like he's not there at all, or it seems like he doesn't care. And yet, uh, the story we're going to look at today, find out neither one of those things are true in a very real sense for his disciples as they were crossing the lake. But I tell you, a storm is coming. What does that look like? Well, Jesus prepared us for it. You know, a few weeks ago, I got to preach through a little bit of the Sermon on the Mount. So this whole block of Scripture, Matthew 5 through 7, and Jesus, the, really the heart of his ethical and moral teaching, what, what our life as Christians should be looked at. If you had nothing but the Sermon on the Mount to look at, starting with these blessings that Jesus gives us, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And, and, and things that don't even make sense that he calls us to, you know, it's like, you know, pray for your enemies, you know, bless those who curse you. Uh, you know, you think you, this thing over here is bad, but let me tell you what the heart of that bad thing is. Uh, and, and of course, you know, the great hope too that he confers upon us as his followers that we're the light of the world. City on the hill can't be hidden. He's placed us in this world, even in the midst of storms. He's placed us to be a witness and a testimony of his goodness, his faithfulness, his presence with us. We are the presence of Christ in our world. And so we should be ready for the storm, right? And yet so often is the case we're not. And there are reasons for that. But, but as he's finishing the Sermon on the Mount, look at this passage of Matthew 7, 24. I'll just give you a portion of this this parable he tells. It says, Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who's built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Of course, we know that rock is Jesus and the teachings that he gave us, his presence with us as he's in our, our community of faith. So think about this. You know, so we've all been through storms. I mean, like real storms, not just the, not just the um, conceptual storm of trials in life, but real storms. I remember the first real storm. And I, I say first real storm because, you know, growing up in southeast Texas on the Gulf Coast, I got to live through two hurricanes. I remember Hurricane Alicia when I was a kid, and then I remember Hurricane Bonnie, and I tell you what, Bonnie was great, because as a high school kid, I cleaned up. I mean, literally, I cleaned up. I mean, it was like, 
there was money to be made on clearing branches and debris from people's yards and, and being um, an industrious um, opportunist. Um, yeah, I took advantage of that. And I was like, I made, I made some big money that summer off Hurricane Bonnie. But even, even with that, I got to say, I'd never seen a storm until I moved to West Texas to go to college. And so at Hardin-Simmons, one of the things I loved doing at night, just one of my quiet places of finding with the Lord was going out to the east side of town and seeing weather systems blow in from the west. So you go to the east side, and, and Abilene kind of sits in this kind of scoop, this little depression. And so if you go to the east side, you can just see these storms, and they, you can see them 30, 50 miles out just rolling in. So if I knew a good light, there was going to be a good lightning show. I, I could prepare ahead and go see these storms. But my freshman year, I remember this. This was, it was May. It was a week before finals. And a bunch of us go out to the lake. And we're just going to have a fun afternoon out the lake. And so we, we're going to set up a um, bonfire. And um, we've got our food. We're going to grill out there, uh, play games. And, and of course, y'all, it, this was pre-internet. So nobody had this. Nobody looked at a forecast to see what was coming in, and we're college students. We're not, we're not watching the 10 o'clock weather on, on NBC. You know? so, it's, so it's like, we're just going out there. It was a beautiful, beautiful day. And then one, one of our friends kind of looks to the west and just see this wall of cloud, and it's rolling in fast, and it's like never seen anything like it. I mean, just this big red cloud in the west, and it's moving fast. And we're like, eh, we better move fast. We knew, we, we, I mean, we had like less than a minute to pack the car, you know, it's like, it's like, and in fact, as we're just throwing things in the car to get ready to get out of there, because the other thing is when it starts raining and we're out here at the lake, we're going to be stuck in mud fast. We know we've got to clear out. I remember my friend Nathan, you could hear him jumping in another car. You could hear three, two, doors close, and then, and I mean, it wasn't water, y'all. It was like blood. Because one of these things, when these storm systems come through West Texas, kicking up all this red dust up into the high atmosphere, it was all this rain, mud, for like two or three minutes, just dropping mud on our windshields. And here we are, we're trying to drive through this back to campus, and there's like these industrial-sized garbage cans blowing across the street, and it's like, eh. the temperature dropped three, 30 degrees in an hour. And it was like a nice day at the lake turned into a good time of cold, mud, football out in front of the dorm. I was like, we didn't let it stop us from having our good weekend before finals, you know. But that was a storm that was just unbelievable. And nothing we could have really done to prepare for that because we just didn't have any foreknowledge, any forewarning. And so storms come. So let me set the stage for you, this storm that, that, that Jesus goes through with his disciples. Now, he hasn't yet collected all 12 of his disciples, but he's got a group of people that are following him where he goes. And so just setting the stage, to have the Sermon on the Mount. And then he goes back to Capernaum, back to kind of his home base. This is where um, Peter and Andrew, James and John, these guys are all from this, this area. So going back to their home as well. And he has this remarkable kick off a ministry of just healing people, people coming to him for healing, um, even that they, you know, um, just can't stop the people, that people are seeking him out. And it's in this moment, it's like, okay, it's time to leave. We got to get somewhere else. Jesus tells us like, okay, guys, we got to get in the boat and go. You're in the boat. I'm like, ministry's happening and we're leaving. 
And so you have this crossing over the lake, and that's when the storm hits. But they get to the other side, what's awaiting them, I'll tell you, is more treacherous than the storm. And I don't know that I've ever really read that story this way, thinking about it in the context of what happens in Gerasene when they go and they encounter the demoniac that says his name is Legion because there is thousands of demons in this one guy. And yet, to prepare them for really a serious power encounter with the demonic, Jesus takes them through a storm. So let's look at this story together. Because, you know, who's, who's really ready for a storm? So first of all, as people are crowding around Jesus, people are coming to him, I want to follow you. And so Matthew 8, picking this story up, Matthew 8 Verse 18, and when Jesus saw the crowds around him, he gave orders to his followers to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple, another follower of Jesus said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Wow. Hard words from Jesus. These guys are ready to follow him. They're ready. They say they're ready. Well, one says he's ready, right? So the teacher of the law, he's been ready. He's been preparing his whole life. He's got the Word of God memorized. He has it hidden in his heart, and he's following Jesus. He's recognizing Jesus. God has clearly sent him. He's doing these miraculous things. And yet notice what happens, that uh, Jesus doesn't even invite him. He kind of invites himself, doesn't he? Do we do that sometimes? Like, oh, here's a good thing happening. I've got to find a way to be in, in the middle of that. And... Um, Jesus just lets him know what's reality. It's like, what I'm going into, I'm going into harsh conditions. I'm not going into a place of comfort. And as a teacher of the law, this is something he's very accustomed to. Not just being in a place of comfort, but even being in a place of honor. Well, Jesus isn't seeking out honor. He's seeking to bring honor to his Father. And so... There's not really a place of honor. It's like, you're not going to get the best bed. You're not going to get the best seat at the table. It's like, I don't even have a place to lay my head. How about this other disciple? Disciple, they call him a disciple. Another follower. I'm not ready, Lord. I'm bound by other obligations. I've got this commitment to my family. By the way, this commitment to my family that's prescribed in the law of Moses. I have to fulfill that first. Now, Jesus did ask this man to follow with a really hard word. Let the dead bury their own dead. Now, we know from context that um, his dad's not really on his deathbed. And Jesus sees to the heart. This son feels an obligation to caring for his father in his old age. And, and there, there, are, there are our cultural obligations that come with being an oldest son in particular. 
And I don't know if Jesus is removing this burden from him to free him up. Now, you know, it's interesting because Jesus has a confrontation with some other teachers of the law. They've got a tradition of this. Uh, and Jesus confronts them and even calls them hypocrites, you know, because he says, you know, you say to your parents, consider it gurban, consider it a sacrifice devoted to God that I'm going to pursue full-time ministry instead of fulfilling my obligation under the law to care for you as my parents. And Jesus calls these guys hypocrites. And yet in this, this case, he's inviting this disciple to follow him. Ready or not, storms are coming. Ready or not. So now there's some things we know about storms. We know that God uses hardship to prepare us for even greater hardships. We know that God redeems hardships. He redeems trials. And yet, none of us enjoys it. Anybody want to confess to enjoying, um, not, not a storm like a nice lightning storm, but hardships in life. You know, it's funny, we were talking about this in Sunday school even, celebration discipline, the last discipline being celebration. And how do you celebrate through hardships? And yet we, as God's people, are called to carry the joy of the Lord with us. You know, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And Paul's talking about rejoicing in the midst of hardship. So this testing that these disciples, these followers of Jesus are walking into. Uh, now for some of these guys, the place of the testing is very familiar. The boat is part of their livelihood. So when they get into this boat with Jesus, they're not thinking that they need any kind of special provision or care from Jesus because this is their territory. This is, this is their workplace. At least four of these guys are fishermen. Andrew and Peter, James and John, it's familiar to them. And, you know, a storm coming up on the water is not new to them either, although, generally speaking, I think they know when to avoid it. And I was like, they can look at signs and the weather, and they're like, mm, today's not a good day to go out. But, you know, too, when they live from day to day, sometimes they would have to make the decision of, we see a storm coming, but we have to go fish. It's familiar to them. But some of these guys... Maybe that boat wasn't so familiar. But they're getting into the boat with friends that know what they're doing. You ever do that? It's like, okay, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going with those who do. So, you know, when Jesus says, hey, let's get in the boat and go, all right, let's go. Something else about testing and about storms. Anybody get to choose the time of it? You know, I remember when we returned home from Azerbaijan, uh, we didn't choose the timing of a storm. And, you know, it's funny because we were very much, a, a, very much a spiritual storm bringing us back to the United States. And when we landed in Charlotte, North Carolina, we didn't expect that three days later we'd have a hurricane coming over us. And even we had other friends coming home from Azerbaijan. They're landing hours ahead of the landfall of this storm. And, and then we're figuring out, like, okay, do we go to the airport and get, go pick them up, knowing that we might not be able to get back? I was like, okay, you, when we booked those airline tickets, we didn't have in mind, okay, um, there's a hurricane. And, you know, of course, other people, they, they prepare. And what do you do when you go, you go to the store, you prepare for a storm? Y'all know. What do you shop for? I didn't hear y'all. Batteries. What else do you shop for? What's empty? Water, okay. 
Milk and bread, what on earth? Milk and bread. <laughs> but, you know, we, we, we've been working cross-culturally, and I'm like, okay, what, what, is, what is equivalent? Oh, okay, milk I don't care for. Uh, but um, bread, I was like, you know, strangely enough, in North Carolina, nobody thought to stock up on tortillas. We, uh, hey, tortillas and peanut butter, we were ready, and something else, they think about um, nuts and dried fruit. And it's like, so we stocked up on this stuff because it's like, there's other ways to, get, to have protein. And it's like, and we had to scramble. By the time we're getting to Walmart, man, it's, it's wiped out. I was like, what are our alternatives? So, you know, it's um, problem solving. We, we, we tend to think about that, but, but you don't choose the time. And sometimes you're ready and sometimes you're not. And you know, the interesting thing too is, is the, the storm that Jesus knows he's taking his disciples into, he, inc- he excludes two of his followers. Well, one excludes himself, right? Let's be fair. So there was, uh, in HR, we call that self-selection. When you tell somebody, here's the job, and they're like, mm, no thanks. That's self-selection. You didn't, you didn't pass on them. They, they, they passed on themselves. And that sure makes things easier when you're hiring people. So, so Jesus gave that, that disciple an opportunity for self-selection. He chose not to come. But the other guy, he's like, you're not ready. How about this? Um, you know, we can be ready. We can anticipate testing. But only the Lord really determines true readiness. And, and I think so often he gives us tests knowing we're not ready. It's like in, some of us can remember in school, what do you call that? pop quiz. The teacher didn't announce the test. Teacher's going to see, okay, are you on track? Are you learning? Are you doing what you're supposed to be doing? Pop quiz. Oh, pop quiz. We weren't ready for that. Well, of course, that's why it's a pop quiz. Sometimes God gives us pop quizzes. I had a seminary professor, uh, Dr. Clinton. Uh, he was such one of these just overwhelming optimists, and, and it was really annoying. Um, and yet he was a very disciplined man, too. You know, he was an electrical engineer, and he'd, he'd come out of the Navy. Uh, even his discipleship, he'd done through navigators. If you know anything about navigators, like memorize scripture, and it was like, I mean, they're really hardcore into God's word. And yet um, Dr. Clinton, just such, such a piece about him, but just a matter of fact, he would tell us, he's like, you know, the beautiful thing about um, the testing that God gives us is it's okay if you fail because there's always a retest. And God is gracious. He retests us as many times as we need it. So (laughs) there's a little encouragement and when you go through a test, it's like, um, hey, I should try to get through this test successfully the first time so I don't have to retest because those retests are going to come. But I love that because it's encouragement. It's like he retests as many times as we need it. God is gracious. There is a storm coming, so let's look at the story. Matthew 8, 23 through 27. So he's called his disciples together. It's like, we're going to cross over the other side. Then he got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came upon the lake, and so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. Well, what does that say to you about Jesus? Well, the guy knows how to get a good nap in. <laughs> Doesn't seem to be thwarted by what's going on around him. He's in the boat sleeping. So the disciples, now I can imagine, look at this. I mean, this story is what, six verses, seven verses? This is a short story. There's a lot more to it. 
Actually, Mark, the, the guy that writes short stories, gives us more detail than Matthew does. But here, here we are. So Jesus is asleep. And the disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us! We're going to drown! Mark, Mark gives a little more detail than that. He's like, they cry out to him, don't you care that we're going to drown? This idea that Jesus just doesn't even care about their suffering. And mind you, these, four of these men should have been confident in that boat. And Jesus replied, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Not just a calm, there was a great calm. The, calm, the storm was tremendous. The calm that came after it was also tremendous. And the men were amazed. What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the sea obey him. Wow. So a question for you. So we've been talking, you've been thinking. What storms of life have you faced? Think about that seriously. What have you been through hardship? As a believer, what hardship have you been through? So let's look. What, what about this storm? First of all, what is a furious storm? It's Matthew, this translation describes a furious storm. It's really interesting that Mark and Luke choose a different word here. They choose a word that um, means like a whirlwind, a violent storm, a, a squall as we see. In fact, this translation of Matthew, I think part of the choice of translation on this passage is looking to the stories in Mark and in Luke that use a different word. So there's kind of a, a bringing the story of Matthew into sync. Matthew chooses a different word that, that, that could be translated storm but it's got, it's got a broader meaning, you know. So, so it's interesting that 13 times in the New Testament, this word seismos, so y'all hear the word, what do you think of seismos? That's earthquake. Seismic activity, right? It's an earthquake. So in the, in the occasions where this word occurs, all but one occasion, that word is translated earthquake. Paul's in jail in Philippi. Seismos. It's an earthquake. Tempest. Storm. This word has a broader meaning, too, that could also mean a shaking or a commotion. Remember, this is God's inspired word and why God gives Matthew a different word than he gives to Luke and Mark for the same story, I think, is really interesting. But I can take encouragement in this and knowing whatever form of shaking there is, God knows what it is, and he's there with us. So what does it seem like Jesus is doing in the storms of your life? 
Is he in the boat with you? Or better yet, are you in the boat with Jesus? Hmm. Maybe you were that guy that decided to stay on the shore. I was like, no, I'm going to take care of these other obligations. Maybe you really wanted to be in that boat. Um, Is Jesus in the boat with you, or or are you in the boat with Jesus? Does it seem like Jesus is absent in, in your storm? I mean, let's be honest. You know, it's like, you know, we can say, okay, no, Jesus is there with me, and I know that. And yet, how you feel, how do these disciples feel with Jesus asleep in the boat? And I think I appreciate the honesty of Scripture that it allows allows us to see there are some complex emotions that go on when we're dealing with hardships and that God understands. Now, Jesus does correct them. He asks them, why do you have such little faith? And yet, you know, another way to look at this is that Jesus is acknowledging there is faith. It's little, but he's acknowledging. He's inviting them to deeper faith, and the storm is giving them that opportunity. Natural questions those guys have is like, how can he even sleep? Well, is Jesus that tired, or is he that uncaring? And at what point in your storms do you cry out? I got to confess, I'm not really calling out to Jesus until I've kind of exhausted my human potential for resolving the problem on my own. And I miss out on an opportunity to um, have the great calm come sooner, I think. Um, that's just me. I, I, I marvel at, at some of you the, knowing some of the hardships that you've been through and knowing the faith that you have and the trust in Jesus that you have. And that's the beautiful thing that we have as a community of faith, that we can hold each other up. Because, you know, those disciples weren't in the boat by themselves. They were together. And together they knew they had to call on Jesus. Even with experienced guys in the boat, they knew they had to call on Jesus. So another question I have for you, how have you seen Jesus work through your storm? Have you seen Jesus take something that was a hardship and redeem it and bring glory to himself? Because after all, what do you think Jesus even expected of his followers in this situation? Did he expect them to have faith? I think he does, because he asks them, why? Why, guys, do you have such little faith? So there is an expectation, but Jesus knows the heart. He knows it's little, and the way that he takes little to great is he does it through the commotion. He does it through the shaking. He does it through hardship. So did Jesus believe they needed a shaking experience to grow their faith? And, you know, Robbie, you talked about this in Sunday school, too. It's like, do do we want our kids to have no suffering in life but just be happy? It's like, yeah, we want that for our kids. And yet we also know that hardship produces character. It gives us strength. It, It reveals character that maybe needs to grow. Sometimes it really reveals that there is good character already there, and it strengthens the good things, you know, the, that hardship. But I think, too, when we remember our hardships, we remember the name of Jesus. When these guys called out to Jesus, they called out Yeshua, which Hebrew means Yahweh saves. 
Isn't that interesting that calling out the very name of Jesus, save us. Calling the very name of Jesus is invoking that salvation power that God gives through the name. Not just God with us, but that God saves. So yes, there's a storm coming, and we know without Jesus we can be overwhelmed. But consider this too, and I hadn't really thought about this until really studying this passage. The greater test for those disciples was not what happened in the boat, but what happened on the other side. That they were crossing over to really short of the cross and short of Jesus dealing with death itself was the most powerful spiritual encounter we see in Scripture. Jesus confronting the demoniac, the man that called himself Legion, because there were many. And yet, even in that most desperate situation, God reaches through that spiritual darkness to pull a man to safety. Think about these guys had to go through the storm to be ready for Jesus to do a greater work. And I wonder, too, when Jesus got in that boat with those guys, Jesus knew the destination. But Jesus wasn't driving the boat. Remember, he was asleep. Where did they have that boat pointed? Where were they crossing over to? Did they know the destination was to, to the region of the Gerasenes? Or did that storm drive them there? So I think it's encouraging to know that, that the storms we have in life can drive us to a place where God's going to do a greater work. So Jesus is taking them to encounter satanic forces. And the storm, think about that building confidence in them before they encounter the demoniac. So you think, can it get worse? You go through your most recent storms, like, can it get worse? Yeah, it can get worse. But how encouraging it is to know that there's redemption in our suffering. And I look at this passage in James 2. Here's the path, brother, of Jesus giving this encouragement to the church scattered throughout the world. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let that perseverance finish its work. There's no shortcutting the storm. You've got to come through it. And you got to come through it with Jesus' help. Let that perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Jesus always has our building up, and he always has a redemptive purpose. So finally, that question that the disciples asked after the great calm, what kind of man is this? What kind of man is Jesus in your life? And if he's a man that's carried you through storms, if he's been in the boat with you, that's your testimony. And what a beautiful thing. We think of our, our testimony of being out how I got saved. And yet, sometimes the greater testimony is how Jesus has been through the darkest of our times and how he's redeemed that suffering, that hardship. So as we go this time of just um, response, that's the question I'll leave you with. What kind of man is Jesus? 
And if you don't know him, I think most of us in this room do, but if you don't know him, is this your time to come? Jesus, if Jesus is faithful in the storm, where else will he be faithful? How can we respond to this? Jesus in the boat, is he with us? If the worship team wants to come up now, so, are y'all ready? I'm sorry. I didn't give Aaron the cue. We're working it out. So how does Jesus respond to you crying out to him? There is a storm coming. Ready or not.